Let's take our Bible tonight to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We've got two messages left in this book, and we will have brought it to a close. So we're in the last chapter, and uh, it'll break down into two messages, and we're going to look at verse 1 down through verse number 8. The title of the message comes right from the opening verse. It is, Remember Your Creator. Remember Your Creator. And uh, there's a great point of application here, I think, for us, and, and just some more reality of life under the sun that Solomon's going to bring to our attention uh, in chapter 12. So let's begin reading at verse 1, and we'll come down through verse number 8. Notice the Bible says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and, when, and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now you read a passage like this and there's a lot of things that you can bring out of it, a lot of things to maybe uh, dive into, but I want to focus on this point and we'll, we'll come through the text together of remembering our Creator. Now how often do you think about the fact that we are created beings? Why would it be important to maybe ponder on such a truth that we are created by a Creator? Well, because when we recognize and think about our nature of being created, it points us to the Creator Himself, the One who made us, the One who gives us life, right? Many in this world give little to no regard to the Creator whatsoever. Uh, Most people go about their lives never contemplating life and death, where they come from, or why they are here in this world. But for the Christian... Our thinking and meditation should be centered upon our Creator because we're here because of Him. We exist for Him. And so thinking upon a Creator, thinking upon Him, uh, in our nature as a created being, it prompts us to ponder really on how fragile and temporal life really is. I think we're, it's no secret, we all know this, we are not immortal, are we? We're not immutable. Um, and and we, we, our lives are just a, a blip on the moment of a moment against time and eternity. And, and so all of this consideration is sobering and humbling, and it should affect how we live at all ages in our life, this temporal life we live. And so this is what Solomon wants us to do. It's what God wants us to do. You know how, how I know that God wants us to do that? Because he, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Solomon to give this, right? We're, we're reading not just the words of Solomon. These are the words of the living God that he's given to his people. And so through the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen the realities of life from the sun, and some of those realities, they're, they're kind of hard to process. They're kind of hard to digest, some of them. 
And here he's going to express some further realities that we could say are less than exciting, less than exciting when it comes to life under the sun. But notice with me a couple things here tonight. Notice with the number one first heading in our notes, the plea to remember our creator. This is the application, the plea to remember our, our creator. It's, a, it's an imperative for us. And so notice with me that it's a direct application for life in the sun. It's direct. It's pointed. It's, it's a command. It's not just a, well, you might should do this, but he, he's telling us something. Remember our creator in our youth. Now, understand that chapter 12 is building upon what he closed with in chapter 11. Chapter 11, we see some other imperatives. He says, rejoice. Then he says to remove. So he's talking to the youth there. He says, rejoice in your youth. He says, remove while you're in your youth vexation from your heart, those things that would trouble you and deceive you and bring trouble upon you. But now in verse 1, he's continuing this application. He says, remember, remember your creator. Now, there's a few points you can glean from this. I think this is where the bulk of the message comes from, is the application. But I want you to see first that, that Solomon, he emphasizes here the truth of Genesis 1, that we are created. We didn't come here by some cosmic accident over a billion years. He emphasizes this, that fundamentally the foundation of everything is that we are created. There's no speculation here about the origin of mankind or everything else that we see. There's only the truth that we are made by a creator, and that creator is the one true God whom he has referenced throughout this book. For only God alone has the power to create everything out of what? Out of nothing. Out of nothing. It's an impossible feat for anybody else. The, pro the prophet Isaiah 40 verse 28 God says through the prophet Isaiah, Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And so not only has God created all the material universe that we see, he's also created all of humanity which dwells in that universe. And with that in mind, he has especially set apart his own people for himself. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, in verse 3, Know the Lord, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And so the psalmist, as well as Solomon, understood that he was not some cosmic accident, but rather that he's a created being given life by the Creator of life. He's not only created, but he is God's sheep. He is chosen and called and consecrated as the Lord's covenant people, the sheep of his pasture. That's a, isn't that a wonderful thought, Christian? Isn't that a wonderful thing to understand and know and see in the Bible of how, how much grace has been bestowed upon us as his created beings? But notice that we see plainly that God's the creator. I don't have to emphasize that too much to us. We're, we're pretty well versed in that. But notice that he wants us to remember something. He says, remember the creator. Remember your creator. Now, what does it mean to remember something? Now, we, we often forget things, and we remember things, right? We forget where our keys are, and then we go find them. Or we forget that we had to pick up something at the grocery store, and then we remember when we get home, right? So it's not necessarily here, though, a member of, in that short sense, short-term sense, to remember our Creator in this context. And what he's saying here 
It means it's to always be mindful of God. It's to live with that kind of a mindset. To live with that kind of a heart focus in your life. It's to be conscious of God as our creator, as our redeemer, as our savior, as our sustainer, as our Lord, as our king, as really our everything. Isn't Christ our all in all? Absolutely he is. He is everything to us, right? And so when we, when we think and live in such a way where we remember, we're conscious of who God is and what he is to us, this affects how we live our lives, doesn't it? It affects how we live our lives. It affects how we view our lives. It affects how we view the world, life under the sun that Solomon has been bringing to our attention. Now, we also see from Scripture the danger and devastation that not remembering the Lord brings to our life and can bring to our life. There's great danger in not living with a God-centered life in your heart. Now, often we see this example in Israel of old. Israel of old had all kinds of things we can learn from, don't, don't they? But just to show you, there is oftentimes in their history where one generation or another would forget God. Not that they didn't know about God, but that they were not living consciously and presently with that in their heart, that God is the center of their life and His Word. Now, notice what God says about them in some of these passages. I'll just reference them for you. Some of them in Psalm 106. Psalm 106, 7. The psalmist writes, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. What do you notice they did there? They did not remember. They were not conscious of God's love towards them and what he had done for them in Egypt. They just, they're just like, whatever, right? It wasn't affecting them. They weren't conscious of that. Again, he says of those people in Psalm 106, 13. But they soon forgot his works. Forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. How often did the Israelites see something God did miraculously on their behalf, and just not long, very much, very much long later, they're already doubting and questioning and murmuring against God and against Moses. They weren't living with a daily consciousness of how great their God was, who their God was what he was constantly doing for them on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what we find with them. They forgot of him. They were not conscious of his works on their behalf. Psalm 106.21, again, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Three times in this one chapter, he describes his people as those who forgot him. They were not living conscious of him. So you just consider how great the salvation of Israel was from bondage and yet they forgot God, their Savior. But this brings to our own attention as Christians today, on this side of the cross, how much more of an imperative is this, that we remember our Creator, who also is our Savior? What does Scripture teach us about creation and redemption? It teaches us that they are accomplished by the same person, Christ Jesus the Lord. Now let me point this out to you. Go with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verse 13 through 16. I love this passage of Scripture. Colossians is rich. It's very similar to Ephesians and some of its content. But notice as Paul's writing here to this church in Colossae and 
in verse number 13 through verse 16. Look at this. He says to these Christians, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption for the redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Now notice what else he says of Christ. Christ is in the context here. Verse 15, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Notice what it says of Christ in verse 16. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. What a glorious text that is of Christ. That's who our Creator is. He is both our Redeemer and Savior, but He's also our Creator. He is both to us. He is our Lord. And so given that wonderful truth, the plea and command of the Christian to God's people who read this is this, remember your Creator. This means, hold your place in Colossians. We'll look at one more text there. This means, to do this means that we live in such a way that we're conscious of Him, that we're sensitive to His presence with us, that we're sensitive to His commands, to His authority, to His Word, to the worship of Him, to His purpose in our lives as His people. Now, we could expound this plea further in remembering our Creator as we see it wrapped up in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Here's where you see this mindset, this, this heart that we should have. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says to the church, If then you have been raised with Christ, Christian, if you've been born again and you know Him by faith, this is you. You have been raised in Christ. You've been given a resurrection in Him. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are where? Above, right? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ ascended from this world to the Father's right hand, and that's where He's seated. He's seated there until His return. And so Paul says, if you've been raised with Him, seek the things that are above. But look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, set your what? Your mind. Where? On things above. On things that are above, not on things on the earth. Some translations render that word mind as affection. Affection. We all have affection for various things. And Paul is saying, set your affection. Your heart's affection should be on the things above. That doesn't mean we don't ever think about things below. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying that the central purpose of the Christian life is about Christ. It's about the eternal, not the temporal. And truly, isn't that the overall message of the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon's laying out life under the sun, but he's not laying out life under the sun as if this is all there is. If this was all there is, friend, vanity of vanities, sure, it would be miserable, right? If Christ be not risen from the dead, what did Paul say? We're of all men most miserable if there's nothing but this world. But that's not the truth. What we find is that though this life is fleeting, it's vanity, and all we see in this life is vanity and pointless without God in the picture and at the center. You see, the people, the world around us, they, they travel the road of life in pure vanity as they neglect and reject the Creator who gave them 
purpose, and they had created them to glorify him. So that's what we gather from this. Remember him. Be conscious of him in our life and how we live it. But notice with the letter B that there's, there's a more specific aspect Solomon is bringing out within the context here for this. Notice that this is a timely, there is a timely application for this. This is a timely application for life under the sun. Notice the timing of this. While his plea to remember our creator, it applies to every person of every age, of every ethnicity. Understand that truth. But in verse 1b, notice what he says specifically, remember your creator when? In the days of your youth. In the days of your youth. You see, Scripture emphasizes much regarding the youth, the young who are growing up in this world and go on into teenage years and then on into adulthood. Scripture emphasizes much. In fact, the context from chapter 11 into here is about the youth. Notice in verse 9 and 10, you'll notice that it's the youth who should rejoice in their youth. It's the youth who should remove vexation from their life and from their heart, the things that would trouble them and bring ruin to them. And here Solomon says to the youth, remember your creator. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us a few things. One thing that sticks out to me is it tells us that living for Christ is not something you wait to do when you get older. Young people are not to think that, well, you know what? I'll live that Christian life that mom and dad are living and grandpa and grandma are living later on when I get a little bit older, right? Because when you're young, what do you tend to think? You tend to think that being older, and even death itself, that's so far out there in the distance. Like, you'll never really get there, right? Man, it seems like yesterday I was 18 and thought, man, it'll be eternity before I ever turn 30, right? And here I am in my 30s, and I look back and think, where in the world did that time go? What happened? My 20s are gone, and before I know it, my 30s are gone, are going to be gone. Life simply keeps on pressing on. And so living for Christ, living, remembering your creator in your youth, it's not something you wait for later. It's something you do now. Paul said to Timothy, who was a young pastor, in 1 Timothy 4.12, he said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know what he's saying to Timothy? It doesn't matter how young you are. You just set an example, even for the older generation, what a Christian is supposed to be. What a Christian is supposed to be. So it didn't matter how young Timothy was. His, his calling was to be a Christ-like example. Even in his youth, he was to manifest what it meant to be a Christian. And this certainly is the need for all youth, is it not? That they be a light of Christ, especially to the peers of their own age. We need to be conscious of that. It's especially important for young people to be conscious of their God, of their Savior, of their Lord. For when they are young, that is when they are most prone to get caught up into a multitude of other things that can easily deceive and distract and bring great devastation upon their life. Paul also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, So flee youthful lust, youthful passions, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's a reason he says to flee youthful passions, because passions are high and heated when you're young. That's how it goes. Now, I remember being in, in my high school days. The vast majority of young people around me 
They just did whatever they felt like. They pursued their passions and their lusts with all of their hearts. Being a Christian, raised in a Christian home, I knew better than to follow that path. Brought up in church, knowing the Word of God. But you understand that being in a, raised in a Christian home, that doesn't make you automatically live the right way. You know what you have to have? You have to have convictions for yourself. And my convictions were rooted in the Word of God. I knew it was right, so that means anything opposite of that was wrong. So, 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 so doing that was what I had to do. It was a conviction of mine. Now, I by no means was perfect. I was quite ornery as a teenager. But I wasn't following after the lust that many of my peers were following after, and that did cost me some things. Cost me some friendships, cost me some popularity, if you would. I didn't get invited to all the cool things. But that doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that we please God. And here's what I see. In this wicked culture that we see around us, we need Christians, young Christians, who have convictions that grip them, that take hold of them, that guide them in the way of Christ and His Word. So if you want to remember your Creator while in your youth, make the Word of God the foundation for everything in your life. Don't neglect to read it and apply it. Psalm 119.9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? Here's how. By guarding it according to your word. That is what we need. Notice that there's further reason for the youth to remember their creator that Solomon brings out. Not only just because they're young, they're because of the temptations, because of the, their, their need for life ahead of them. But you notice in verse 1, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before... Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now this is where the whole passage through the rest of this verse, this ties it all together all the way through verse 8. You'll notice this plea is for them to remember their creator before something. Now the word before is repeated in this text, I think three times. Remember your creator before the evil days come. Well, What's the evil What are the evil days he's talking about? Now, they don't refer to necessarily morally evil days, as if we're going to get into more morally evil days than we are now. Evil does not always equate with immorality in some of the Old Testament verses, the way it's used. Evil days here refer to days of adversity, hardship, affliction, trouble, those sorts of things, trial and sorrow. These kind of days, Solomon says, you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Those are the kind of days that we tend to not enjoy, right? So so what he's saying, in other words, is that there are days coming that are not as enjoyable or easygoing as the days of your youth are. You know what he's specifically talking about? He's talking about getting old. Talking about getting old. The unpleasantness of physical deterioration in old age is what he's referencing. Now we think, is there a difference in life between the days of our youth and the days of our old age? Absolutely there is. Now I'm in my 30s. I know a lot of you are older than me. But I can't do some of the things I used to do in my 20s. I used to be able to jump and dunk a football. I could dunk a basketball if somebody threw the ball to me right by the rim, right? And I could put it in there. I'd be happy happy if I could just jump halfway that size now, right? Can't do that sort of thing. 
I don't have the same energy I used to have, although maybe if I got in shape, I'd do a little better than that. But, but the p- point I'm making is that I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm not in my teenage years anymore. Things change with age. Barzillia, if I'm pronouncing his name right, said to King David, this is one text that kind of hints at this, 2 Samuel 19.35, he said, I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be added, be an added burden to my Lord the King? Evidently, this man at 80 years old, he recognizes a lot of physical things that are not the same as when he was younger. And Solomon, he's going to lay this out in detail in this coming passage. But in short, you understand that the youth are to recognize that old age is coming. It may seem like it's a far distant thing, but it's coming. And it will be here quicker than you realize. And so because of that, remember your creator. Live for your creator while you're young. That's the wisest thing that a young person can do. We need not think that it's off in the distant past and we'll live for Christ later. This thinking often leads to that mindset oftentimes we may think that we don't you know we don't we don't we're not gonna we don't have to do that now but here's the reality is that even young people die too young people pass away all the time tragically my extended cousin passed away a couple weeks ago from a hunting accident 26 years old it's a tragic thing he didn't plan that that would be his last day in which he'd walk this earth That's the last day he walks this earth. Millions of other stories could be told in the same manner. We must understand this. But this leads to the remaining section of this text of remembering your creator. Notice with number two, the purpose for remembering your creator. And there's a twofold purpose here. Very plain, the first one, the aging of physical life is one purpose, one reason. Remember your creator in your youth. Now, why would the process of aging be a reason to remember your Creator, especially in your youth? Because aging and all that comes with it makes our mortality beyond question. Aging brings to the forefront the reality of how fragile our human nature really is. We need to be reminded of that truth, even when we're young. Psalm 39.4, David said, O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how Leading I am. And so to make this truth more clear, Solomon is going to detail some things about the aging process in a very metaphorical way. You ever read this text and thought, what in the world is he talking about? What's he talking about grasshoppers and all this sort of thing here? Well, it's all metaphor, all right? It's metaphor. And I'll try to point this out to you a little bit because he's using poetic language. It's metaphors. He uses language to illustrate this in a way that's not easy to grasp upon first reading it, but as you look at it, you begin to see. He's likening, and overall, he's likening the aging process of a person that to a house deteriorating in a sense. Now, there's several times in Scripture where our body is likened to a house or a tent or some kind of a temporal structure. Paul does this in 2 Corinthians 5.1. He says, we know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the human body, his mortal body. And so we know that our mortal body is temporary. It's not going to continue forever. In fact, as long as it's living in this world, guess what? It ain't getting better. It only deteriorates. It only deteriorates. 
I found this example intriguing. Have you ever heard of John Quincy Adams? He's the sixth president of the United States of America. He died at age 81. But at age 80, on his 80th birthday, he wrote a letter to a friend who had inquired about him. And he says, and he says in his letter, John Quincy Adams is well, but the house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated, if, he's, if I pronounce that right. It is tottering up on its foundation. Time and seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn out. Its walls are much shattered, and it trembles with every wind. I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it soon. But he himself is quite well, quite well. Now, being what's supposed, some say he's a believer. Maybe you got that analogy from this text in the Scripture. I don't know. What I do know is that Solomon lays out this very plainly for us. Now, I'm not going to try to pinpoint every detail. We'll do what we can because the main point here is to get the overall picture of the deterioration of life. Verse 2, notice that he says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Remember your Creator and your youth before this. Before this. This verse compares old age to darkened skies. It's a very somber scene that brings us to see the fading physical and mental powers that come with old age. With age comes inability to do the things that we once did, that we formerly enjoyed in our youth. As Solomon continues in the details here, he shows us various things regarding the body. In verse 3, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. Now, most conclude that here the keepers of the house, they refer to the arms and hands, which are keepers and workers of the body. You know, we do everything with our arms and hands, don't we? What happens as we get older in age? What happens with our arms and hands? They begin to grow weaker. They begin to tremble and shake just a little bit. Notice that the strong men are bent. Implies typically our legs or our back. Most would comment and say that. It's not to be dogmatic. But he's trying to reference the strong aspects of our mortal body. Our back is strong. Our legs are strong. These are very strong aspects of our body when we're young. But when we grow older, what happens to them? They hurt a little more, don't they? They weaken. We begin to bend a little bit. We don't walk like we used to. Can you have any guess at what the grinders might be? <laughs> you heard of the phrase of grinding your teeth? Your grinders would refer to a person's teeth. When a person grows old, sometimes their teeth cease because they are few. I remember as a kid, just a little boy, probably David's age, seeing my great-grandmother put in false teeth, and that confused me to death. I thought, what in the world does she have going on here? Where's her real teeth? She's got them fake chompers putting in. And I didn't know what, the, what in the world was going on. Well, you grow older and you realize that. That's just some, some people, as they grow older, their teeth wear out. They got to get them pulled. They got to put in false chompers, false grinders, right? Thank God for the technology to do that. But in Solomon's day, he didn't have that. Didn't have that. That's the reality of life under the sun. Then Solomon says, those who look through the windows are dim. You can probably guess what that might refer to. Your eyesight. Your eyesight. 
eyesight of a person. Eyesight doesn't typically get better as you get older, does it? Every year I've got to get a new prescription. I'm only 30-something, right? I'll probably be blind by the time I'm 50. I hope not. <laughs> but your eyes, they don't increase. I mean, you can affect your eye health with some dirt, certain things and technology, but ultimately you're going to get to a point where your eyesight just gets dimmer. That's part of life under the sun in the human body. Verse 4, he says, And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Let's break this down for a moment. By saying the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low, most assume here that he's talking about becoming hard of hearing, harder to hear certain things. In other words, you've got to speak up, be louder, right? Now, today, people are blessed to have hearing aids to help them along and hear certain things, right? We didn't have that in Solomon's day. We've got microphones. Well, this one, this one's on, this one's off. But we've got these amplifications that help us. But without those and even just going on about normal life, without that, what happens? Your hearing begins to fade. He then says, one rises up at the sound of a bird. When do birds rise? Early in the morning, don't they? This seems to imply that as you get older, maybe it's harder to sleep longer. Maybe you've got aches and pains that keep you from sleeping well and hinder that. Don't know. But there's an implication there. He goes on to say, And all the daughters of song are brought low. All the daughters of song seems to indicate that your voice begins to weaken. You may not be able to talk or sing like you once did when you were younger as you get older. You know, it amazes me how loud my kids can get. How loud my kids can get, especially when they run wild. Now, I don't feel that I can reach the levels that they do, but there was a day and age in which I could. And I know that because I used to do that to my mom and dad, and they'd get on to me, and now I'm reaping what I sowed. And my own kids doing the same thing. They're loud voices. But as you get older, your voice had it eventually fades, and it's not as strong as it used to be. Verse 5, he says, They are afraid of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. There's a few things here we can kind of imply and glean. Is there an increase of being afraid of what is high when you get older? Well, in one sense there is. As you grow older and you get, become more feeble, you become a whole lot more conscious where you're walking, and what you're doing, because you're more prone to falling and you're more prone to injury. You want to avoid that. Solomon says here, the almond tree blossoms. When he says that, he seems to be referring to the gray hair that comes with old age. Almond trees have a silvery white blossom when they blossom, and so do the elderly, right? See y'all nudging people about gray hair. I'm already starting to see some filter in. I'll have salt and pepper before you know it. But that's part of it, right? That's just children. Next, he says, the grasshopper drags itself along. You ever heard the phrase, what a young grasshopper? Maybe you've not, but I have. A young grasshopper. Well, a young grasshopper has great strength to jump and hop. When the grasshopper gets older, it can't do it like it once did. It drags itself along. Lastly, he says, and desire fails. Desire fails. 
So as a person grows older, the passions that burn deep within them, giving you the strength and vigor to do them, they begin to wane. They begin to wane. Some of the things you maybe enjoyed doing, you had a passion for doing, maybe you just don't have that passion as much as you once did. It's a lot harder to do it, right? See, all this points is the reality that someday we're all going to do our last of all the things that we enjoy. You're going to have your last golf game you ever play your last casting of the fishing rod, your last hunting experience, all of those. We're going to have our last eventually. And so as, a, as we grow older, these things become real to us. Now, you look at all that Solomon's saying, he said, don't that make you look forward to getting older? Well, understand, Solomon's not giving us all this insight to discourage us about old age. That's not what he's doing. Understand this. There is great blessing in old age as God has given you continued years to live because what we find with scripture and life itself is that both the young and the old have their purposes for the glory of God Proverbs 20 29 the glory of young men is their strength but the splendor of old men is their gray hair so if you're getting gray hair and you don't like it just understand it's a splendor it's a glory in the eyes of God all right the point Solomon's making in this passage is that he wants the youth to understand this. This is all about the youth getting right perspective. He wants the youth to understand that old age is coming and they need to remember their creator in their youth and not think that that application waits till they get older. Because often we look at life and think, how much more could I have done for the Lord in my younger years? I think about that right now in my 20s. How much more could I have done when I had a little bit more energy, right? You say at every age, our heart must be to remember our Creator, seeking to honor Him and to make Him know, known. This is the psalmist's desire here. In Psalm 71, 17 through 18, listen to this. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who are to come. And that should be the desire. That shows you someone in their older years remembering their creator. They want that creator to be known to the generation coming up. And that really is what Solomon's doing with Ecclesiastes. He wants the upcoming generation of Israel to know what life under the sun is all about and what it's really worth living for. So we got to recognize that the Lord, he's with his people no matter what age they may be. And all of us are living in temporary bodies on our road to the heavenly home, to the celestial city, right? Notice with me letter B. Here's the last reason, the twofold purpose. The aging of life is one reason, one purpose to remembering your creator and your youth. But then there's also the death of physical life is another great reason to live and remember your creator in your youth. He doesn't just stop with physical aging. Verse 5, he says, Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, this here, this is why we remember our Creator. We are going to grow old and die. There's no alternative unless Jesus just comes back. We're going to grow old and die, and following our death will be the mourning of the living. It continues in verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered in the fountain, where the wheel is broken at the center. Before this, remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
What's he mean by these imagery? You notice that all these things he mentions are very fragile and easily broken. And water is often in Scripture a symbol of life. They hold life. These things hold life. These examples given by Solomon show us the fragile nature of life. Our life is easily broken and shattered and death comes at us easily. What happens when our life comes to an end? Verse 7, what does he say? The dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. What dust is he talking about? What dust is he referencing here? He's talking about your human body. Look at us. We're all a bunch of decorated dust sitting in this room. That's all we are. Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. David said in Psalm 103, 14, he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. We are dust. But we're certainly much more than dust, aren't we? More than dust. Solomon says the spirit returns to the God who gave it. See, Solomon has not given us a view of this sin-cursed world as if that's all there is. There's so many people that live with that kind of thinking. I'm going to die, and then that's just all there is. The eternal is in view through this book. You see, the glory of death for the Christian is that they are redeemed and secured in Christ, and they possess eternal life even as we speak. That can't change. You see, death is a portal into glory. It's, It's just a doorway. It's not the end. It's just a dot, 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 continue. God's people have eternal life that can never be taken away from them. John 6, Jesus said this in verse 39 and 40, This is the will of him who has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up at the last day. You see, Christian, we don't hinge our hope on this world and this body. We look forward to a new world and a new body because of the resurrection of Christ. And even until that final resurrection day, the saints who pass enter to the very presence of their Lord. And I'll read this passage briefly. I know we're running close to the end of time. I ain't preached in over a week or a week, so you've got to give me a little wiggle room here. All right? 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 1 through 10, let me read this to you. Just take it in for yourself. I won't expound it. He says, we know that if our tent, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the human body. For in this tent, this body, we groan, longing to, be, to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed putting on, it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. What's Paul's hope here? What's his confidence? That whether we're here or there, we're here, 
We're still in this mortal tent, but if we're there, if we depart this tent, this body, we enter into the presence of Jesus. We're at home with the Lord. And that's why the psalmist says this wonderful truth, precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. Psalm 116, 15. And in contrast to that, you understand that those who die not knowing Christ as their Savior, they don't depart into his presence. There is judgment. There is hell because of willful rejection of Christ. And this only ties into the very need of how everyone needs to know their Creator. Christ Jesus the Lord, the Redeemer. Verse 8, he concludes, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. That really is kind of the bookend of the whole book. He starts it and he's about to end it in the same manner. Vanity of vanities. All of life is like a fleeting breath. So therefore, remember your Creator today while you have breath. Remember your Creator today while you have life. And so there's the application for us is that we remember our Creator.